0: Welcome to the podcast, The Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. The title of my message this morning is just one word. It's the word stuck. Now, just, just quick survey, quick survey. Who has ever driven a van? All right, there's not many of us. That's you know. I, I, I look, I I need to confess something. I'm not a I'm not a van driver or a four wheel drive driver. Okay, like I know I've probably just lost some friends here, but but that's not kind of the. I love low and fast cars, but vans and four wheel drives are kind of high and they're ugly and they kind of they don't really handle very well and they don't drive very fast and. But I need to confess something with you. And I can say it because a couple of years ago, I had to drive a van. Before we started this campus, I uh, I worked for a swim pool store. And and my official title was, I was I was a swimming pool technician, which is a fancy way of saying I was a pool boy. So I cleaned pools and I installed pumps and filters. And part of that job meant that I had to drive a van. I had to humble myself to drive a van. And I remember going to a job one day, so I had the, the van full, fully laid up with a whole lot of gear. And as I arrived at these people's house, I recognized, I saw the pool, I saw that little shed with all the equipment, and they had this beautiful big stretch of grass just next to it. And I thought, you know what? I could park here on the driveway and, truck and lug all of the stuff from here all the way over to there. Or in a moment of genius, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna sneak on their grass and park right next to the pool, right next to the shed, and that way I can get all of the, the, the salt bags and the sandbags and the pumps and the filters and all the equipment out of it it just make my life a whole lot easier. And that was awesome until the moment. About halfway across their lawn, the the van started to slow down. And so I did what every good person would do, and that's I just hit the accelerator just a little bit harder. But but for some reason that the more I pushed it the slower the van seemed to go. And there was an alarming moment when I recognized I kind of went on the grass like this, and all of a sudden I realized I was kind of more a little bit like this. And I thought at that particular moment, something's not quite right. So I pushed the accelerator a little bit more, because that's what you do, and, and it didn't seem to help. It. So I, I reluctantly stopped, and I got out of the van, and I, as I stepped out of the van, I looked down towards the back, and, and 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 what the beautiful stretch of grass looked like before was a beautiful stretch of grass. What it now looked like is is kind of like two brown GT stripes with a hole, and in the middle of the hole is my van. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, I didn't probably probably said other things, and oh, but you know, at that moment, I remember standing there looking at my van that we had now kind of had like mud beginning to be plastered at the side and i thought oh what am i going to do now that's the pg version of maybe of what i said and so what i did is i went and grabbed any sticks and, and 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 bits of wood and branches and whatever and began to shove it underneath because i thought you know what I'm in a hole, I'm stuck, so let me help me get unstuck. And so, you know, I began to stick branches and whatever I could, and then I kind of began to rock the van back and forth, the accelerator, thinking that might help. It didn't help. I then got out and I began to pray, lay hands on the side of the van, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Nothing. I then was faced with one final decision. What to do. My first reaction was quit, resign and walk home, pretend that never happened. <laughs> well, the second challenge, or the second second reality I needed to face was I had to make two awkward phone calls. First phone call was the clients and to explain to them about their beautiful, nice, flat, green grass kind of had now other patterns in it and, and some water features. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of all sorts of creative ways of trying to spin my mistake because I'm stuck. And so they were kind of okay with that. And so then I had the next phone call was I was still stuck. They were now happy with the, well, remotely happy with the decision that I'd made. And now I had to call the boss and explain to him how and why I may have stuck his brand new van in a client's front yard with a whole, anyway, you get the picture. So then I'm trying, I'm on the phone trying to explain it and I'm asking him for a tow. I then... Humiliatingly, had one of the boys drive out with the, van, with the boss's 4 drive and attach the snatch strap and try and pull me, which we eventually got out with a little bit more holes and, and everything else going on. And I remember standing in that moment feeling totally humiliated and utterly stuck. Now, what made it worse was I got home from work that afternoon or that later, later that afternoon. I arrived back at the shop. And I pulled around the back to all of the boys in the shop and all the rest of the service guys, all standing at the back and clapping and cheering as I arrived in with my white van that kind of was mostly brown at this point. And I remember in that moment, never forgetting that moment. See, I've never forgotten that moment, that feeling, that that total and utter feeling of being helplessly stuck. I reckon a lot of us here know what it's like to be stuck. My guess some of us here today are stuck in marriages that maybe weren't kind of going as well as you once thought, or maybe you're stuck in the middle of a divorce or a relationship breakdown or something like that. Maybe you're stuck in the middle of, a, of some career challenges at work. Maybe you're stuck in the, in the midst of an addiction that you can't quite kick. Maybe you're stuck when every morning you wake up and energy levels aren't as high as they once upon a time were. Maybe you're stuck with mental health battles and challenges that you, you seemingly can't seem to get over, no matter how hard you try and the struggles that come with it. Maybe this morning you feel stuck and you find yourself doing some things that you said you would never do in a place that you said you would never be. But this morning I want to talk to those people who feel like you're stuck at any moment in your life, but in particular, those people this morning that you feel like, if you're honest, you're stuck in your spirituality. So if you feel like you're stuck this morning, then it's so great to have you all here with us as we're all stuck in varying degrees of our lives. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump into Ruth chapter 1. And Rochelle read it so well this morning. But we're going to pick up Ruth chapter 1, where it all begins in verse 1. And it goes like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Pause. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, I've never been in a famine. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a famine. However, at the Morrow's house at the moment, we have a small glimpse of what it's like to live in a famine. Because I've got two teenage kids. And they arrive home from work. Oh, sorry, they don't arrive home from work. They arrive home, I wish they were. At work. Anyway, they arrive home from school. And they could play board. Anyway, and they arrive home from school and magically all the food in the pantry and all the food, at least all the nice food in the fridge, all magically disappear. And then they say those magical words that every parent loves to hear. Hey, Dad. Hey, Mum. I'm hungry. There's never any what? There's never any food in this house. Then an hour and a half later, it's dinner time. And they walk to the dinner table with those, those eyes. You know those eyes? Those desperate eyes that say, I'm hungry. I was hungry, and now I've moved to angry, and now I'm hangry. You see, I can't imagine what it must be like to live in a famine. You know, in a place where there's, there's no real prospect or, or no real idea when you might get your next meal or how you're going to get your next meal but I reckon in in the middle of any famine there must be a moment of desperation but have you ever noticed that desperate people make dumb decisions and so I mean you think about you think about the last desperate decision you make it may not have been a wise decision that we all made but back into the story, verse, the second half of verse 1, it says this. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, I want to give you just a little snapshot of, of, of what's going on here. Now, quick question. Where was Jesus? In fact, hold on. I've got, because every, every chocolate helps answer questions. It's amazing how that happens. Quick question, where, first hand, all right, we're going to, chocolates to the first hand, okay, where was Jesus born? Margaret, oh, no, good, good work. Now, where was this family from? Yes, you, know, you have two, because that was, and where are they now? No, so it's third time lucky, he's not lucky. All right, where I? Yes, Emma at the back. I'm not, yes, you're right, but I'm not throwing this because it won't make it that far. You can come and see me afterwards. Exactly. You know, so Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They're from Bethlehem. And now where do they find themselves? They find themselves in the town of Moab. Let me give you a bit of context. Has anyone ever been to Moab? All right, none of us. Cool. The Jews lived by the law of the time. And the law was found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And God gave these laws as a protection, as a guidance for His people that He loved to say, you know what, if you live this way, if you abide by these rules, you live well and prosper. And so He gave these specific rules. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, we find this passage where God says to the Israelites, to the Jews, He says these, He makes this decree, He makes this rule, He says, you are not to go to Moab, and you are not to know, befriend, marry, or have anything to do with the Moabite people. And so here we find this rule that's been set in place, this law that God set in place to protect his people, that said you are not allowed to go to Moab, you're not allowed to touch your Moab, you're not to go anywhere near a Moab, and you're not allowed to marry a Moabite person. See, every Jew knew what the rules were. They knew what Judah, what 23 said. They knew that the laws that God had set about were for their protection and for their benefit. And he, they knew that for whatever reason, they weren't allowed to go on Moab. Go to Moab and see the Moabite people. I don't know how it all worked. Maybe they're sitting around dinner at a time discussing some of the different rules. And one of the kids pops up and goes, Dad, what's wrong with Moab? And why are we not allowed to go and see him? And and whatever else. And and they began to talk through and understand why they weren't allowed. I reckon one of the kids said, Dad, why are they so bad? And the dad looked at him, no doubt, and said, because the Moabites aren't like the Jews. this is why. Over this side, you've got the Jewish people, and they're good. And over this side, you've got the Moabite people, and they're bad. Okay, now what's on this side? The Jews are what? And over this side, we've got the Moabites are what? Awesome. So on this side, we've got the Jews are what? All right, and the Moabites on this side are? All right, got the step can up. That's good. Why were the Moabites bad? See, the Moabites were bad because they worshipped a pagan god who was an evil, wicked god. And they would do things like, if, 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 if their, if their um, crops didn't grow so well and, and they weren't getting the yield and the crops weren't growing and there was a whole lot of famine issues and all sorts of things, then what their god would ask is, what I want you to do is, that I want you to get your children and I want you to throw them into the blazing furnace as a sacrifice to me. Now, that seems a little bit messed up, unless you're a parent and then you think, oh, 50-50. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is messed up, church, right? Don't do that. That's not a good thing to come away from church with this morning. And so the Moabite people were wicked because of all the different things that they did and the God that they followed. See, the Moabites were bad people caught in a bad place. But why, of all places... Did this family decide to go there? I mean, they could have gone anywhere, yeah? They could have gone anywhere, and yet they find themselves going to Moab. It's found at the start of it. Because the nation of Israel was is in famine. And we know that when we're in famine, we get desperate. When we get desperate, we make dumb decisions. And so they found themselves in a place where they know they shouldn't have been, doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're doing things that you said you would never do in a place that you said you would never go. But the story goes on. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And their two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Aphrodites. I don't know how to say that. in the, From Bethlehem in... Judah. So I love, I love God's word, because the more you dig into it, the more richness comes out. I love the fact that just here, kind of just rattles off four people's names, and that means nothing to us. I mean, I've never met it. You've, no, none of you have ever met them either, and yet their names mean special things. Malon, his name means sick. Kilion, his name means wasting away. Now, that's probably Jesse. Good that you picked Lexi and none of those names. All right, that's good work. Naomi, her name means pleasant. And Elimelech, his name means God is king. I don't know about you, but that sounds an awesome name. Imagine having that name as a name. What's your name? Elimelech. What does it mean? God is king. But you know what I find so interesting? And you know what I find so sad? That a guy with the name that means God is king is not living like God is king. And here we find himself in a place, instead of living like God is king, he's not living like God is king. But instead, he takes his family and he leaves God, he leaves Israel, he leaves Bethlehem where ultimately Jesus would be born. And he goes to a place he knows he's not supposed to go. Why? Because he's desperate. And desperate people make dumb decisions. And it's not looking any good. And then it gets worse. And it says this. And they lived, they were Aphrodites in the in Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. The NLT version, which it's actually one that Rochelle read out, said this. And they 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 moved to Moab and they settled there. Now, if there was such a thing as a DMV, the Dave Morrow version, it would probably say something like this. And they went to Moab and got stuck. Have you ever settled? Have you ever just kind of given up for where you're at? You know, one of the one of the saddest parts of last year for for me as, as a pastor, was to, to see so many people that I, that I love dearly settle. See, 2020 was a year where it threw everything out of whack. You know, all of our routines, you know, the routines of being able to go to church, not being able to church, wear a mask, not wear a mask, register, not register, limited numbers, not limited numbers, multiple services, little people, and all the rest of the things. And, and I saw so many people begin to settle with where they're at. And I saw so many people begin to settle and give up on elements of their faith because they became and they got stuck and they got settled without the routine of Jesus in their lives. As I talked with them, I heard people say, you know what, I just don't feel the God goosebumps anymore. I, feel, I just feel like I'm just going through the motions. That the closeness, the, the presence of God in my life just doesn't seem to be there anymore. You know, you know Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 says this that you've lost your first love. That they, they've come to the place where they go, you know what, if, if I'm honest, that, that passion and the desire for God is, is not there anymore. And I'm stuck in this place of apathy. And I'm stuck in this place and I feel lost. And I feel. church we're never meant to settle we are you are i'm never meant to settle in that faith three and a half years ago i remember standing with 44 people as we prepared to launch this campus and all that god has done And I remember standing in front of 44 people, and this is the best thing that I could come up with. And it wasn't my words. It was God's words as I was having my own quiet time. And I remember standing in front of these people going, I don't know how this is going to plan out. And we're going to do the very best we can, trust in an extraordinary God to use our ordinary. And this is all I had, people. We're going to be all in. You know what? We're going to be all in to see what God would do with a group of people who are all in. And you know what? God has done so much. But you know what I've discovered about the word, all the words, all in? They're the opposite to settle. Settle. Just get comfortable. Let's just do comfortable church. Let's just kind of come in, tick the box, got my shirt, got the t-shirt, got my coffee after the service, whatever. Kind I'm just going to settle. And this is all that God has ever got for me. And this is all I'm ever going to attempt to do. This is all I'm going to believe God for. And this is all. This is it. This is but then you've got all in over this side. All in and this side goes, God, I don't know how this is all gonna plan out. But God, I've got faith to see what you might do with someone ordinary like me. And God, I want to be all in. And I don't know what that means, like I don't know what that's gonna cost me, whether it's serving, giving, whatever. God, I don't know how that's gonna pan out, but God, I am all in because settle is over this side. When and they were Moabites were what? Bang. But all in is over here with the Jews. He said, you know what? My God is my God and he is more than enough. And he is still a conqueror. And he can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, settling. Settling so easily can mean that we find ourselves in a place that we thought we would never be, doing things that we thought we would never do find ourselves so easily stuck in Moab but then it gets better in verse 3 Is anyone else nervous that we've, I've been talking for 20 minutes and we're still only in verse 3 and there's 22 verses get comfortable, no, no that's alright we'll, we'll, we'll get there verse 3 says this now Elamalek, Naomi's husband died and she was left with the two sons but Dave I thought you said it was about to get better yeah give it a second Naomi is in a foreign place. She's in a place of sin. She's in a place where she, knows, not where she knows that she's not supposed to be. And now her husband has died. Her only source of income. Her only source of protection. Her only source of security. Her only source of provision. God is king is now dead. And what do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment where you're stuck and it seems like there is no way out? But remember... Remember what God told Israel? Don't go to Moab don't, Moab. don't marry any Moabites. Don't go near them. Don't touch them. Don't, don't do anything like that. It was a direct command from God. Because I want, because I love you, and I want to protect you, I want you to stay away from that place. And then in verse 4, it says this. And they married, oh, let me just read one a little bit. So they left with two sons, and they married Moabite women. One made Oprah, she is that old, and the other one named Ruth, and after that they lived there for about ten years. Parents, how many times have you said to your kids, don't touch that, don't go there, you know? Yeah, you know, you don't go, ah, 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 don't touch that, it'll hurt. You don't go there, it won't go well. How many times have we said that? But what do they do? Yeah, and they touch it anyway. And they go, like, oh, I've got a burnt hand. And you go, really? I oh, don't no. you know. Yeah. How many times does God say that to us? Don't touch it. Don't go there. It won't go well. See, church, so easily we can find ourselves in that same predicament. See, what do you do when you're in Moab? What do you do when you've you've forgotten God? What do you do when when you've lost God? What do you do when you're living in sin? What do you do when you're in a moment where you've forgotten who God is and you've turned your back on Him? Well, we start doing things that we said we would never do in a place we said we would never be. And they settled. And they began to turn their back on their God. But now things seem to be on the up. Malon and Kilion with the great names have got married and it's seeming like, hey, you know what? Maybe the the Titanic, the shift is beginning to turn for them. And they're at this place where where Naomi's excited. She's got a couple of uh, daughters-in-law and things are on the up. You know they've got jobs now, and there's more money, and they're upgrading their vans to a real car, and they're, you know, they're, I don't know, I don't know how it all went, you know, and, and they're they they're extending their real estate portfolio, and things are going well until verse five, and verse five says this: They were there for about ten years, but both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left with her two, without her two sons, and. Can you imagine with me for a moment? Imagine what it must have been like to be Naomi. Could you imagine what it must have been like, not just to lose your husband, but now lose your two sons too. And you start with two women that you're not supposed to know, you're not supposed to certainly be related to, but now you find you're stuck without your husband, without your two sons, and you're stuck with some ladies who you know and everyone else knows that you're not supposed to know them. She's stuck. What do you do? And maybe this morning you feel stuck and you don't know what to do. But the thing that I love about God's word is it's not finished. Because then we come to verse 6. And this, 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 this verse here has become one of my most favorite verses in the whole of the Bible, and you'll understand why in just a moment. And verse 6 says this, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Did you get it? A quick question. Where was Naomi? Oh, yes, hold on, there's a little hand. Moab, yes. Now, I'm just going to throw this, just, everyone, all right, we're watching. Oh, right behind you, there we go, awesome, champion, exactly. Naomi was in Moab. Now, where was the blessing, and where was God making a way, and where was God doing what he was doing and providing? In Bethlehem. Now, again, where was... Where was Naomi? And where was God's blessing? Where was Naomi? Where was God's blessing? How did she hear the news? There was no newspapers, no TV, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no TikTok videos. Thank you, Jesus. No radio. How did Naomi hear what God was doing? I love it. It just says this: when Naomi heard in Moab, get 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 in church. So here is here is. Here is Naomi. She's in sin. She's know, She is where she knows she shouldn't be doing some things that she knows she shouldn't be doing. And yet what happens? God comes to her and begins to tell her what he is up to. Now, Naomi's over here. She's stuck in her stuckness. that's not a word, but go with me. She's stuck in her stuckness. She's stuck in her sin. But then she hears that God is up to something. It says, Naomi heard in Moab. She heard because God is relentlessly chasing after us. Huh. I love this because it says no matter how much we all mess up or how stuck we think we might get, that God is relentlessly chasing after you. See, even when we're stuck, even when we feel like we can't get out, even when we feel like we've blown it so badly that no one could ever love and acknowledge someone like me, let alone a perfect and, and, and incredible God, even when we feel like we're doing some things in a place that we never thought we'd be, doing some things that we thought we would never do, God is relentlessly chasing after you. You see, Naomi heard in Moab. Naomi found herself stuck. Stuck in a stuckness. Stuck in a place where she had no husband, has no sons, and she's now related to two women that are from Moab, and she shouldn't know them, let alone be related to them. And she's stuck, but then something happens. Naomi begins to get desperate again. And the middle of her desperation, in the middle of her stuckness, God breaks into her situation. In the middle of a moment where she feels like there is no more hope and there is no more chance. God speaks to her. She's stuck. In the middle of her desperation, team, can I invite you up? God breaks in. And in the middle of that moment, she begins to wake up and she begins to make a decision. I've got to take my next step. Because if we jump all the way through to verse 16, it says this, but Ruth replied, remember Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or turn my back on you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And get this. Now, now, quick question. What was Ruth? What was her nationality? She was a Moabite. But then it says this. Your God, your God will be my God. In that moment, Not only does Naomi recognize that she's got to take a step. But Ruth takes a step of faith. See, what I love is, is that Ruth joins Naomi. And Naomi tries to discourage her. But Naomi makes this statement that your God will be my God. And Naomi's decision to listen to God over her circumstances, ultimately affected not just her own life, not just Ruth's life, but in a couple of generations' time, a young boy named David. And then because of his line, a young man, a baby that would be born called Jesus. Huh. Because, because Naomi heard in Moab... In the middle of her stuckness, and she said, "God, I'm not gonna stay in my stuckness, but I'm gonna try and stake. I'm gonna take a step. This morning I want to ask you a question. Are you stuck? Are you stuck? doing some things that you said you would never do in a place that you said you would never go? (sighs) See, God wants you to know that even though a mistake got you to Moab, God can still find you in your Moab. That that He wants to find you in the middle of your stuckness. That just like God resentlessly, resentlessly, Thank you, relentlessly, appreciate that. Chase Naomi. God is still relentlessly chasing you. That if God, if God can speak to Naomi in the middle of her sin in Moab, I love the fact that God can still speak to you here this morning. I love the fact that... that, that Moab seemed to be the furthest possible distance away from God, and yet God came and found Naomi. And God is coming to find you this morning. And He wants to say to you that I don't consult your past to determine your future. See, you notice something about this passage. Desperation got them into Moab desperation also began to get them out Naomi got desperate again desperate enough to take a next big step We hope you've been blessed by this message if we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on get connected to let us know